people kind of say like Charlie has like wild opinions, but I find myself agreeing with Charlie quite a bit, honestly. So it's kind of interesting to hear your opinion <laughs> on that because I, I was thinking the exact same thing. People, much, like, I was like, it's not that big of a deal. It's like Charlie is not a homer. That's the problem. You don't have to be, you know, agree with everything that Buffalo Bills fans say, because if you disagree, then you're like, oh, you're not really a real fan. He knows that getting star backs a benefit to him, hopefully. So why would he be in any rush to sign a contract? I think outside of injury, that's a very good point. See, look, more logic from Charlie. Charlie, let me ask you a question. Do you like, do you tweet like crazy things and then when you get like the opportunity to speak, you just go ahead and speak like super logical so that it like confuses people like that is that what's going uh, on yeah I, dude, look, I, look it was, charlie is always making sense to me like i don't i don't know man i gotta man. i gotta i gotta like go back in this episode and clip these like three spots where you said that and just like play it on repeat on my twitter account let's give you my podcast intro Bills Mafia, what is up? And welcome to another edition of the Halftime Adjustments Podcast. My name is Charlie Gross. I am your host. You can find me on Twitter at Charlie underscore Gross underscore. The Buffalo Bills have finally beaten the Kansas City Chiefs. Happy Victory Wednesday to everybody listening. I got to admit, there was a lot of nerve-wracking times for me in this game. A lot of frustrating times, certainly at the beginning. We'll get into all of that, but I don't think I can record this podcast without obviously talking about some of the news. Obviously, last week we had some news uh, on Urban Meyer doing just some dumb things that he probably did all the time in college because it was college and nobody really cared, but stuff that you can't do in the NFL that has nothing to do with the actual game. And obviously, yesterday or I guess maybe Monday night to be exact, Tuesday morning, whatever. Uh, John Gruden was uh, fired, although officially he resigned. He was fired um, due to just being really just a big douchebag. Uh, the league was investigating the Washington president, Bruce Allen, for sexual misconduct. I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with the Washington uh, football teams sex scandal thing that was ongoing for years. Well, John Gruden and Bruce Allen are good friends from their time in Tampa Bay. And John Gruden decided that he was going to pretty much insult uh, every group of people possible in a bunch of emails using his... I believe it was his official, um, well, he, I believe he used his ESPN account for some of it, his Raiders account for other stuff, but the real reason they were able to get all these emails is because Bruce Allen decided to use his official Washington football team email account. So I suppose that when that's an official account, the team keeps records of those, and the league acquired those and obviously read them, and then leaked them to the New York Times, and... John Gruden is now fired 
slash resigned. And he should be. And this shouldn't also really be surprising in the league. I'm sure there's a lot of other people in the league that don't really feel like John Gruden's comments were a problem. And that's why no one really mentioned it before that. Obviously, Bruce Allen didn't, as I mentioned. So I don't think John Gruden will ever work in the NFL again. It remains to be seen if he'll work uh, with anything even affiliated with the NFL, whether he goes back to ESPN or some other television network or what he does. But quite frankly, I suppose it doesn't even really matter. John Gruden is a douchebag. We all kind of knew he was a douchebag. And his racist and homophobic and whatever other phobic uh, rhetoric finally caught up with him and he's fired. And good riddance because, like I said, he gave off the impression of being a piece of shit. Obviously, he is a piece of shit. So, that's that. But as I said, the Buffalo Bills beat the Kansas City Chiefs on Sunday night in a game that was maybe one of the weirder games that I've seen Uh, recently. Obviously, there was an hour and... 15-minute rain delay, which rarely ever happens in the NFL, or lightning delay, whatever you want to call it. And this is kind of a game where yeah, I went into it thinking that probably the same way the Bills were thinking about it at least a little bit, and certainly how they thought about it last year, which is we need to score, (laughs) and we need to score a lot. Uh, Kansas City had been struggling a little bit, but you're never quite sure exactly what you're going to get until the game starts, the game is played. And it started off pretty good. Uh, They had, they held the Chiefs to a field goal and then came back and scored a touchdown and things were going really well. And then the penalties started to happen. And then Josh Allen decided that he was going to go back to his rookie year and take some moments from his rookie year and implement them into his game this year. And, of course, he decided that it would be a good idea to take an 18-yard sack, which made absolutely no sense at all. There are times where he's still prone to this. And, obviously, I've said in the past that this is something that there's variance in his game This is something that may happen for the rest of his career from time to time. And while we should all sort of accept it, it's still frustrating to watch, you know. Just like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? You can't make every play. Just take the sack, take the eight-yard sack or the the five-yard sack instead of the 18-yard sack. It's not, not a use for it. And so that's the point kind of in the game, you know, heading at the, I guess the end of the first quarter, heading into the second quarter, obviously at that point, the Chiefs come out and score a touchdown. So at that point, it's 10 to 7, and I'm kind of thinking, you know, this is, this isn't going to go well from this point on, however, 
Josh Allen answers back with a touchdown pass to Emmanuel Sanders. And once that happened, I don't want to say that the floodgates kind of opened, but you could tell that that things were going to be different in this game. You know, certainly from a defensive point of view, the Buffalo Bills really took a page out of the Kansas City Chiefs book from last year. The thing that we really talked about last year a lot and that made us mad, I think, as fans was the physicality of the Chiefs defense against the Bills offense, specifically the wide receivers and how physical the Chiefs defensive backs were with the Bills receivers. Well, the Buffalo Bills decided that, hey, you know what? They got away with it last year, the Chiefs did, and we're just going to do the same thing to them. So there were multiple, multiple um, moments, and really throughout the whole game, where they were extremely physical with Travis Kelsey. Uh, They were, you know, really getting into him at the line, uh, trying to, to punish him not let him get right into his roots, really be super physical with him, grabbing, holding, whatever it really took. Uh, Trey White took a couple penalties, I think at least one. Saran Neal took a couple penalties. And in those moments, again, super frustrated. But but as you kind of watch back the replays during the the, the timeouts or, or the downtime, you really began to see a plan. And the Bills seemed totally okay with taking those penalties because they knew that it would limit uh, – Certainly Kelsey's ability to hurt them more in the past game, so they were willing to trade some of those penalty yards to keep him in check, and it worked. I believe he only had 56 yards receiving. So a good, good game plan by Leslie Frazier. And this is certainly game two where you could see the plan that Brandon Bean had envisioned when he drafted Greg Rousseau, Carlos Basham, and what exactly that plan was. And this is something I think, again, that we've talked about from time to time. You don't really want to, like, you don't want to flush Mahomes out of the pocket. You really want to make him play within the pocket. You want to treat him kind of the same way that they, they treated Lamar Jackson. And Lamar Jackson is on a whole different level when it comes to an athlete in terms of speed. Not saying that Pat Mahomes is a bad athlete because he's not. He's really good. But you just want to contain him. You don't want to let – he's a lot like Josh Allen. He's very comfortable throwing on the move. That's where a lot of his reputation comes from. That's where a lot of his creativity comes from. And Jerry Hughes didn't do the best job of containing – there were a few breakdowns on his end, but I'll tell you what. Definitely, uh, you know, Greg Rousseau did a fantastic job of setting the edge, and it, it was okay. if you, you don't have to get to Pat Mahomes necessarily. You have to keep him contained, yet keep him uncomfortable. And we saw that time and time again. How many times did you see where the Bills' four defensive linemen were able to cause pressure. They were able to make Mahomes move within the pocket. And when he tried to get outside the pocket, they they almost formed like a little like semicircle around him. 
and they just weren't going to let him, you know, move a lot from side to side necessarily, that that kind of a thing. And sure, did they get a lot of sacks? You know, no. But that's what you want to do. You, you want to limit his his movements. And I, and I think teams try to play Josh Allen in the same way. Um, I mean, obviously, the Chiefs' defense is not as good as it was last year, not even close to being as good as it was last year. I'm not trying to diminish the offensive performance from the Buffalo Bills. That's not what I'm trying to do. But I think we have to at least point out the fact that the Chiefs' defense is not great. And the Bills' defense is far superior. Um, you know, So the only question was is, is can the Bills, can Josh Allen, uh, as Joe Marino likes to say, meet the moment? Can they answer back when necessary? Can they make the most of their opportunities? And they did. They beat the Chiefs by 18 points. The Chiefs are in trouble. I'm not going to say they're not going to make the playoffs, but they have serious issues on that team. And it was nice to see Josh Allen make plays when he needed to make plays. And this, again, wasn't a great, efficient game from him. His completion percentage isn't through the roof. His completion percentage isn't super impressive. But when he needed to make plays, when the team needed him when the team itself as a, as a group needed plays. They answered the, the call as a group. You, you know, he was, I think, 7 for 14 for 250 yards in the first half. So not super efficient. Obviously, that's like a 50% completion percentage. But he did what he needed to do to, you know, keep the, the Bills way ahead in the game. Uh, obviously, some very weird things happened in the third quarter because, like I said, there was that very long rain thunderstorm delay that I'm sure messed things up a lot. And, you know, the third quarter, I think, is where the defense really, really kind of saved the day. Uh, Greg Rousseau had an interception. Micah Hyde had an interception for a touchdown. And Greg Rousseau's I don't, it was barely even an interception. I mean, the ball barely left Mahomes' hand. Rousseau just basically caught it. And and just, <laughs> it was like he was through a two-yard pass to Greg Rousseau. So that was, that was, you know, something that was real important because the offense couldn't get going. And then after that, uh, Josh Allen leads the team on a, on a long drive for another touchdown and really puts the game away at that point. Uh I think the debate is fairly settled between Zach Moss and Devin Singletary. I think Zach Moss is clearly uh, running back number one on this team. If I'm not mistaken, he played 80% of the snaps, while Singletary played something like 30% of the snaps. It's hard for me to see a path for Devin Singletary to complete, to, to still be getting a... 50-50 split with the carries. Obviously, that wasn't the case on Sunday night. But, you know, he may continue to be the finger-quote starter, but they trust Zach Moss a lot more in important moments, uh, blitz pickup, pass blocking. They trust him more late in the game. He's he's always, like, if you look at, at, at how many times he's in the game in the third and fourth quarter, as opposed to Devin Singletary, it's going to be a very high number. It probably, I'd say, 80-90% of the snaps in the third and fourth quarter Zach Moss was in. 
So to me, he's clearly become uh, you know running back one. And of course, we cannot uh, go any farther in this podcast until talk about Dawson Knox. Dawson Knox, three catches, 117 yards, a touchdown, five touchdowns on the year. He's averaging uh, projected stats would be 17 touchdowns because <laughs> he's averaging one a game. I don't think that'll really happy happen. But he is on pace for about 62 catches, about 800 yards, and yes, at the moment, 17 touchdowns. I know everybody was a hater. I know everybody wanted us to trade for Zach Ertz and this and that the other. I I had to listen to it all summer long, all spring long. So why don't you people go fill out your Dawson Knox apology form? I provided for it, one for you on the internet. It takes time for these guys to develop. You got to be patient, and I know as as fans, it's tough to be patient, but you got to give these times to develop. You know, if he does finish the season with you know sixty catches for eight hundred yards, he'll be like a top four tight end in the league, top three statistically speaking. Plus, he's a great athlete. So what's the problem? And I know it's it's hard. Obviously, it's a projection when you're when you're in the off season to to say okay, guys, it's going to be fine. But you have to at least wait for the player to to develop and see what they develop into. And a lot of people weren't willing to do that. The offensive line played fantastic. Uh, you know, John Feliciano has looked better this year. I'm not going to say a lot better, but he has looked better, which is encouraging. Spencer Brown is playing well enough at right tackle. Uh, Daryl Williams is playing well enough at right guard at the moment, so that's good. And I think another guy that we have to talk about a lot is Tremaine Edmonds. And and I'm sure you all remember the play where he kind of knifed into the backfield. Is that the the correct terminology? And and broke up that running play kind of along the sideline, but it was in the backfield. It, it was like a toss sweep. And, and you could tell that he was like instinctively playing. As soon as the ball was snapped, uh, you know, the, it obviously it was an outside run, so... The, the line started moving, you know, left or right, I don't remember. And obviously the Bills' defensive line was, was you know, crashing down in that area. And Tremaine Edmonds just, just well, like he was shot out of a cannon. And those are the types of plays that you want to see more of from Tremaine Edmonds. So I think a lot of people, including myself, were talking about we needed to see him be more instinctual this year, and some people want more spa- splash plays from him. And I don't think you're going to get a lot of splash plays, you know, like sacks and interceptions necessarily, from him as the middle linebacker in this defense. But what I meant when I said I wanted more impactful plays is I wanted that type of play, you know, to him to come through the line, come break up the screen pass, you know, work his way through traffic to break up the outside run like decisively, that without any hesitation. And now we're starting to see that. So so now this is sort of where he can go, what his next level is in the future. So I think that that was, you know, it was good to see for him. I'm not sure this was his best game of the year. I know some people have said that. I don't know if this is his best game, but this has probably been his best three or four game set, set of games in his career. They didn't really seem to to miss Matt Milano that much, and I think it was actually a good thing that Matt Milano was out 
And the the reason I say that is because I feel like the the Chiefs did try to run the ball a lot, and I think AJ Klein is a better run defender than Milano is. So I think having AJ Klein in the game really allowed the Bills kind of to shut down the run game a little bit more than if Matt Milano was in the game. And then I think it forced the Chiefs into more of a backs against the wall. You know, we've got to throw the ball a bit more. And it sounds crazy that that the Chiefs would have a problem with with wanting to throw the ball more. But, you know, at at some point when things aren't clicking and they're obviously not clicking for the Chiefs, and and part of that reason is the Bills' defense, you know, you want to kind of limit them and and make them one-dimensional. And I think the Bills did the best that they could um, making the Chiefs one-dimensional. Special teams was okay, not great. I don't think it was terrible. I, I just don't think it was great either. It, it was kind of somewhere in the middle with that, I, I guess I'd say. And obviously, Isaiah McKenzie and Gabe Davis and, to a large extent, Cole Beasley are not part of this passing game right now, which in a way doesn't surprise me. I, I mean, I don't want to say that Cole Beasley is – non-existent because he had 11 catches against Washington two weeks ago. But all these people that think that that Gabe Davis is ready to be a number two receiver and this, that, the other, he's been targeted literally like six times this year. He is not there, you know, he's not a top four option or even top five option for this passing offense right now. So I don't know how you go from that this year to being, you know, the number two wide receiver next year. I I think if you look at a guy like Emmanuel Sanders, he's light years ahead of Gabe Davis in almost every facet uh, of the game when it comes to playing wide receiver. So I know some people have been asking about, well, where's Gabe Davis? And, you know, my thought at this point is, you know, who cares? They obviously... You know they're obviously doing quite fine with him on a very, him playing on a very limited basis and him getting a very limited number of targets. So I don't I don't think that's going to be an issue. Obviously, if somebody gets hurt, then he becomes more valuable. But nobody's hurt right now, so he's he's not the beneficiary in terms of targets and and catches and touchdowns of somebody being injured because there's nobody injured. So next week, the Bills go to Tennessee to battle the Tennessee Titans. Revenge game, obviously, for the Bills. They lost 42 to, I don't even know what it was, 42 to 13 last year or something. The Titans aren't great. I might even say that they stink. Certainly, they have some serious issues over there. Yes, they have Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry has never really impacted the Bills-Titans games very much. The Bills have always done a great job of sort of holding him in check. And the Titans' defense is, to be completely honest, pretty terrible. So while I guess technically this is a bit of a a losable game, I don't expect it to be a game that the Bills will really struggle in, really have a hard time moving the ball. I know a lot of people have been wanting that sort of Josh Allen uh, breakout performance, and I think it could come against the Titans. I think you could see the Bills score 
I don't know, like 45 points, 50 points against the Titans, it's certainly possible. You know, Tannehill's not having a great year. Their offensive line isn't fantastic. And as I said, the defense stinks. So those are all sort of uh, indicators and and not really secrets for success for Tennessee, but, but for the Bills, maybe that is the case. Regardless, the Bills are 4-1. and one. And I believe that you can safely say at this moment in time that they are the best football team in the AFC. Uh, The NFC, I still think the best team in the league is Tampa Bay. I also think the Rams are really good. And then I have, have the Bills right in there with those teams. So we'll see what happens in the future. Uh, I hope that you guys enjoy the Tennessee game. I'm sure that it's going to be a win. I'll throw my uh, official prediction up on Twitter near the end of the week. Uh, But with that said, I just want to thank everybody for listening. Please check out the podcast network. Check out the YouTube channel. uh, Check out the merch shop. We just got some new merch in there, so that's very exciting. Follow Built in Buffalo on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. And as always, Bills Mafia, find a way to embrace your growth mindset and trust the process.